All right, Rabbi good morning, good morning. Let us begin. We have an incredibly beautiful, magnificent daf ahead of us today. Um, one second. Okay, so we'll say, begin by thanking all of our sponsors, to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Kislev, to thank Josh and Becker Freedom of dedicating all the Shimon Joshos this month, Le'ilu Nishmas Josh's father, Yisrael Yehuda, Ben Rav Chaim Rafael, to thank Sammy and Malka Esterson for dedicating all the Shurim and Joshos this month in memory of their parents, Yitzchak Leib and Aaron HaKohen, Sarah Rachel Bas Baruch Avram, Hinda Bas Hanach Ephraim, and Anuschos. Of the continued Gizunt and Haslacha, Mr. Morton Esterson, Admeva Esim Shanim Tovos. To thank the Pepper family for dedicating the Shurman Joshua's this month, commission of the yard site of Yosef Pepper, Yosef David, Zichron of the Bracha, Ben Yaakov. Our week of learning sponsors, Steve Golaskov, in creation of the first yard site of his father, Nachum Sender, Ben Mashul of Nassim. We hope that the Neshama has an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. And to thank Ayala and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurman this week. In the Swiss of Fushlima for Shulamis Bas Susha. I will say with that, let us begin Baruch Hashem. A lot to do today. Incredibly, overwhelmingly beautiful Gemara. I will say today's daf is noon. We are picking up Emir Sashem. Okay, we have a lot to do today. On Mem Testament Base 49b, and we left off the last short line. Last short line. Rabbi Huda of Rabbi Shimon, so 49b, right before the wide lines. Rabbi Huda Rabbi Shimon, Aisula Kamayo Belusfin. So we'll say Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon are sitting, and ultimately, again, it was brought before them Belusfin. The Ran says, What are Belusfin? Min Te'inim Shekashinus Achel. A type of dates, a type of dates, sorry, type, yeah, a type of figs, excuse me, that are, that are difficult to digest. So what happened? Rabbi Huda, Achal, Rabbi Shimon, Achal. Rabbi Huda ate them. First white line, Rabbi Shimon did not eat them. I'm Rabbi Huda, my time of the Achal. So Rabbi Huda says, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, why are you not eating the dates? These dates, they come in, they don't go out. Right? They, they, just, they just sit. They just sit in there. Givaldik. Givaldik. You know what that'll do? That'll, that saves us time from eating tomorrow. In other words, if they sit, if they sit in you, that means they'll be satiated tomorrow as well. And it saves us some time. Incredible. Incredible. Rabbi Huda Avi Yosef Kamei Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Huda was sitting before Rabbi Tarfon. Armoli Rabbi Tarfon. Hayom Panecha Tzuhubim. So I listen to this. So Rabbi Tarfon says to Rabbi Huda, your face looks radiant today. Right? Self-assured men could have these kind of conversations. Right? Right? Your, your, your face looks radiant today. Panecha Tzuhubim. That was in all seriousness. What, 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 Rabbi, what Rabbi Tarfon was saying to Rabbi Huda is, there's a glow to you. There's a glow to you today. So what's like, what's, what's the pshat? So Amrlay, Emesh Yatsu Avadechala Sada. I'll tell you the truth, you know what happened. Yes, last, yes, yesterday, yesterday my servants went out to the field. They brought back beets. We ate the beets without salt. And how we had the beets with salt. All the more so our faces would be even more radiant. So the idea being, Rabbi Huda attributed the glow to an enhanced diet. To enhance diet, we had beets. We had beets. The fresh beets ultimately were good for us. Amru, Amru, Amra Hahi Matronis Rabbi Huda. Listen to this. There was once a Roman noblewoman who said to Rabbi Huda, Mora Veravi, you are clearly a man who is a teacher and a drunk. Okay, now why did she call him a teacher and a drunk? If you look at the Ran, Ran is on the right hand side, about eight lines up before the end. Again, Rabbi Huda had this beautiful, this, this radiant countenance. So he looked, I guess, maybe like a little rosy. So she said, you're a drunk. 
she noticed he was known as a teacher of Torah, but she said, clearly, you're also a drunk. Amar Leih, listen to this. Rabbi Yehuda said, Chas v'shalom. He minusa biyada dai hi isisa. I swear, ita'imna elikidusha va'avdalta va'arbaa kasi de pischa. Rabbi Yehuda says, I barely drink any wine. The only wine I drink is a cup of wine for Kiddush, a cup of wine for Havdalah, and the four kosos on Pesach. Right? That's the only wine I drink. And when I drink that, and, and when I drink, this is referring to the Dalakosos, the four cups of wine on Pesach, I get such a headache that I have a headache from Pesach up until Shavuos. That's how intense the headache is. Ella, so what do I attribute the complexion to? Chachmas Adam Ta'ir Panov. So we'll say, this is so beautiful. Quoting over here the Pasuk from Koheles, literally again, the wisdom of man will illuminate his face. So that which you see, that, that beautiful luminescent complexion, that's a reflection, or that, right? That's literally a reflection of the Torah I have. So I'll say, what, what a beautiful idea that when we learn Torah and when we absorb Torah knowledge, it fundamentally changes us. It fundamentally enhances us. It changes not only our inside, but it changes our outside. As I say, the most beautiful thing is, it changes the way we present to the world. We look different to the world when we're steeped in Torah. Truly beautiful. Amr Leahu Tztuki Rabbi Huda. So I'll say one more story about this. There was a Tztuki that said to Rabbi Huda, Panecha Domin Ikimalave Ribis Ikimigadle Chazirin. You look like a person either who lends with interest or raises pigs. Okay. What, what does that mean? So I'll say, so interestingly enough, so one second of all, I just want to point out. All three of these stories are all the same story of Rabbi Yehuda's beautiful complexion. The first is story with Rabbi Yehuda, sorry, with Rabbi Tarfon. The th- second is a story with the Roman noble, noble woman. And then the third is the story ultimately again with this tzeduki, with this non-believing Jew. So I will say, so again, there, it's brought, there's much to say about why the Gemara is bringing down three stories of this. We're not going to get into this now only because we have more to do, but I'm just giving you a maramakum to think about. So this Siduki said, Rabbi Huda, you have a beautiful, shiny countenance. Now he said, you must either be lending with interest or ultimately, again, raising, raising chazirim. So, I'll say, if you take a look at the Ran again, the Ran says, Apparently, these are considered to be easy professions in which you can make a lot of money with very little effort. A lot of money and very little effort. So the idea is, you have more time for self-pampering if you have these professions. So the Tzeduki said to Rabbi Yehuda, said to Rabbi Yehuda, ultimately, again, you look like someone who's had a relaxed life, very wealthy, very well taken care of. You must either be lending with interest or, or raising chazirim. So Rabbi Yehuda says, you know, for Jews, both of these things are usr. Right? A Jew can't raise pigs, and a Jew is also not permitted to lend with interest. So Ella, so what do, we, what do I attribute my, my, um, my, my, my countenance to? Ella Esrim, this is very interesting. Ella Esrim ve'arba beis ha'kisei islim in beis ha'be'midrasha. There are 24 restrooms between my house and the beis medrash. V'chol sha'a v'sha'a ani nichnas l'chol echad ve'echad. And every hour, I go into each of, I go into each of them. Now, of course, this is a bit hyperbolic. What Rabbi Huda was saying is essentially, my gastrointestinal affairs are an issue, are, are in order. In other words, I take care of myself, I relieve myself regularly, and because of that, my body is healthy. So I will say, so it's interesting, by the way, 
how in stories one and three, Rabbi Huda attributes his countenance, his beautiful countenance, to his physical health, to taking care of his physical needs. In story two, he attributes his, his physical countenance ultimately, again, to his spiritual health. And it could very well be that ultimately the stories kind of you know, round out as Rabbi Huda saying, what you see as a total and healthy person is a composite ultimately of me taking care of my body and me taking care of my soul. Quite beautiful. So Rabbi Huda, incredible story. Rabbi Huda, when he go to the base Medrash, Shakil Gulfa Al Kasve. He would take a Gulfa. The Ran says over here, a Gulfa is Kankan, a, 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 a jug or a basket. A basket. Now, why would he bring the basket for him to sit on? In other words, he was bringing his own chair to the base Medrash. So, Amr Gidolam Alacha, Shemechabedes as Baalaha. So, what I say, so this is interesting because people say, Rabbi Huda, why, why are you bringing your own chair? Like, in other words, someone else could carry your chair. He said, No, it's good for me to carry my chair. Why? Because Malacha is good. It brings honor ultimately again to Baala, to those who perform it. Now, I both say it's interesting that it could also very well be that what Rabbi Huda is showing is in order to be accomplished in Torah and in order to, to, to gain something from the experience of learning, you have to exert yourself in some way. Yet there has to be some level of exertion. Torah, Torah can't be easy. I remember, I think I mentioned this before. I'll you go, go, I'll tell you later. So, so again, so the idea over here is that who thought if I'm going to be Kona Torah, I'm going to be Kona Torah, then at the end of the day, I have to, I have to exert myself in some way. So what did he do? He carried Shabbat. I'll say it's such an incredible idea because right, we live in an age where the goal is what? The goal is to make everything easy, right? And, and there's certainly positive aspects to that, right? In other words, not suggesting we all become Amish, you know, but, but, but Lamaisa, again, there's something that's lost in making everything easy in that recognizing part of growth, especially in Ruchnius, is the exertion, is the struggle. Well, so we even know part of the beauty of what we're able to do here every morning is there's incredible exertion getting up this hour in the morning, right? It would be so much better if the shir was two hours later. How great would that be, right? Sleep to a normal hour, get up, start your day. The, the part, part of the growth ultimately is the exertion. Part of the growth of Rabbi Yehuda ultimately is what? Is lifting up the basket and bringing it with him to shear. Incredible. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Shakel Tzana Al Kasvei, same idea about Rabbi Shimon used to take a basket on his shoulder. So going back to Rabbi Yehuda now, the wife of Rabbi Yehuda, Nafkis, she went out, Naktas Amra of the Galima Dohotvi. Supposed to listen to this. Rabbi Yehuda was very poor. The Gemara now tells us about how incredible and how intense his poverty was. What happened? His wife went out to the marketplace. And what did she do? She bought wool. She bought some wool. And she made the wool into a cloak. Okay. Kadnafkis l'shuka. Mechsebe. The kadnafik Rabbi Yehuda l'tzaluyah havi mechse. Umatzli. The kadnafkisebe. I'm sorry. Good. So what happened? They had one cloak. And they were so poor that Rabbi Yehuda and his wife shared the cloak. Shared the cloak. When she would go out to the marketplace, she would wear the cloak. When he would ultimately go out to daven or to learn, he would wear the cloak. And kad, kad when he would put on the cloak, he would make a bracha, baruch shatani me'il. Right? Thank you, Hashem. Blessed are you, Hashem, who has literally again wrapped me in a coat. I will say, what an incredible idea here. Their husband and wife are sharing a coat, are sharing a cloak. Right? Yet, Rabbi Huda felt such a profound sense of gratitude for this cloak every single time he put it on 
that he made a bracha. I both said, isn't that incredible? Can you imagine, like, I think if, 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 we, if I was in that situation and I was chas shalom so poor that I was sharing a coat with my wife, I don't know that I would feel a profound sense of gratitude every single time I put it on. In fact, if I know myself, I think I'd feel like a little bit like a shtickle resentment or a shtickle sadness. Like, this is, this is what I have in life. That is what I have in life. All I have in life is one shared coat. I don't know that I'd be filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yet Rabbi Yehuda. Every single time he put on that coat, he made a bracha. He made a bracha. It's so incredible. So I'm saying, now watch the story. So the Gemara says, Zimna Chada, one time, Rabbi Shimon Leo decreed a fast day. Decreed a fast day. Also, the Gemara doesn't tell us why there was a fast day, but he decreed a fast day, a public fast day. Rabbi Yehuda lo asla beitanisa. Rabbi Huda was missing from the gathering, right? Because remember, again, on fast days, they would hold communal prayer. Rabbi Huda did not show up. He wasn't there. So Amrin Levi, so Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was, was looking for Rabbi Huda. He said to Shimon Gamliel, Lo is leki suye. You know, Rabbi Huda is not here. He doesn't have clothing. It must be that he's probably not here because his wife, his wife probably was out. She had the coat, and that's why he's not here. Shadr Leglima. So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel sent Rabbi Huda a cloak. Sent him a cloak. Velo Kabel. So Rabbi Huda wouldn't accept it. Tap of Nun. Dalit Sifsa. So again, the messenger who came, I was saying, here's what's interesting. Rabbi Huda didn't want to offend, didn't want to offend Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. After Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, first of all, who's the Nasi, is going ahead and sending him a gift. He didn't want to look like an ingrate, right? He didn't want to look like, you know, except even though, again, you know, it's interesting how Chazal speak about the dangers of gifts, but at the same time, part of life is learning how to accept gifts graciously, even if you're uncomfortable with it, especially when it comes from someone who's very chashev. So here, Rabbi Huda doesn't want to accept the gift. So what does he do? Listen to this. Top of Nun 50a, Dalt Sifsa. So apparently Rabbi Huda was sitting like on a mat. He pulled up the mat. Look what I have. Now both say, the Rand points out over here, that a miracle occurred, and like a chest of gold coins appeared underneath the mat. So Rabbi Huda was saying to the Shaliyah, please understand, I can buy my own cloak. I can buy my own cloak. But he said, in other words, it's not the pshat that I don't have the money. I, so why don't I have a cloak? Cloak, I was listening to this. Miu, lo nichali de'ishani ba'adein alma. I don't, I, I choose, I choose ultimately again to abstain from not enjoying, from, from, I, I, to cho- I choose to abstain from non-essential pleasures in this world. I will say, by the way, what an incredible overlap between our two limudim, right? We're just learning with Siyas Hashem about Prishos. So what is Rabbi Huda saying essentially? I practice Prishos. I will say, this is what Ramchal would call more extreme Prishos. For Rabbi Huda, this is what he felt. So Rabbi Huda says, I made a conscious decision that I don't need to benefit from non-essential things in this world. If Rabbi Huda says, for my wife and I, it's working out. It's working out. Maybe it's even good for our shalom bias, right? This brought us closer. We're sharing a coat. So Rabbi Huda says, I don't need a thanks. Please, Tom Shugunov, thank you so much, but I don't need the coat. It was absolutely incredible. So to me, again, what's so striking about this story is, you see, you read this story, and what's your reaction to this story? I, Nebuch, Rabbi Huda was so poor, was so poor. Yet if you asked Rabbi Yehuda, you know, how are things going? Rabbi Yehuda would have said, just fine. I have exactly what I need. Everything is good. Not only that, I put on that cloak and I feel such a sense of gratitude. Baruch Sha'atani Mi'il. I feel such a sense of gratitude that Ashkamez Kashbarak was giving me this cloak that I shared together with my wife. So I'll say, 
absolutely incredible about how much perspective frames how we are living our lives and what is going on in life. Absolutely incredible. I will say, now we come to the beautiful, beautiful story of Rabbi Akiva. So I will say, so remember again, you, we already, the primary story of Rabbi Akiva is brought down in Meseches Ksuvas. Right? That's the primary location of that story. In fact, again, you can see the Mesorah Sashas puts you by Ksuvas Samech Beizim 62b. I will say, remember again, the story of Rabbi Akiva is immediately followed by the story of the death of Rabbi Akiva's students. That's the primary Gemara. This is, it's not a secondary story. What this is, is a little bit of a different angle on the same Rabbi Akiva story. So watch this. Rabbi Akiva is Kaddish Slay Barte de Bar de Kalba Savua. So I says, listen to this, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva married the daughter of Kalba Savua. And I was remember again, we know Kalba Savua from Esachas Tainus. Right? Kalba Savua was one of the three wealthiest men of Yerushalayim. He was called Kabbasa, right? Remember again, Kabbasa literally translates as the satiated dog, right? Not amongst the most popular children's names. Right? So, say, so why is he called the satiated dog? The Maisei the Gemara says, because even if you were as hungry and ravenous as a starving dog, if you came into his home, he would feed you. He was known as such an incredible Baal Chazad, such an incredible Baal Tzedakah. So what happens? Rabbi Akiva becomes Mikudeshes, or is Mekadesh, Kalba Savua's daughter. So also remember again, if you'll notice, this Gemara leaves off the first part of the story, right? How, how did this Shidduch exactly occur? So remember again, that's where it says that the daughter of Kalba Savua, a young woman by the name of Rachel, sees that Rabbi Akiva was Ma'ali. He had good midos. He had good midos. She saw, so the Gemara, the Gemara here doesn't talk about that. The Gemara just tells us, kind of jumping to the middle of the story, she, right? They do Kiddushin. Shama Kalba Savua, Kabbasava hears about this and he is infuriated. Absolutely infuriated. So, what does he do? He makes a nether preventing his daughter from getting any benefit from his property. Now, Bosa, now understand what was Kabbasava's intent? Kabbasava's intent was for them to get divorced. Remember again, right now in the story, there was only Kiddushin, there wasn't Nisuin. There wasn't Nisuin. So, the hope was. That she'll hear the nether, say, oh my gosh, my father's cutting me off, I'm going to have no money. She must have, she obviously had a pampered lifestyle. She must have had a pampered lifestyle. So the mice, again, he was hoping that the nether would cause her to dissolve the marriage. Okay, so what happened? Azla, this nas, this lay, this, this nas, this nasiba So what happened? So they got married. Didn't help, the nether didn't help. And Rabbi Akiva or Akiva and Rachel got married that winter. Listen to how beautiful this story is. Akiva and Rachel were so poor that they were living in a straw hut. And when I say straw hut, in a hut in which they, in which they, in which they store straw. Right? In a storage room. They were living in a storage space. Right? A storage space for straw. So listen to how beautiful this is. So remember again, they were sleeping, they were sleeping literally again in the straw. So as I said, every single morning, Rabbi Akiva, then he was still Akiva then, right? Akiva would pick the straw out of his wife's hair. I would say, what, what just an amazing image. Right? He would pick the straw out of his wife's hair. Amr Allah, he said to her, He said, if I had money, I would buy you a Yerushalayim Shal Zahav. 
Right? What does it mean? Not not Naomi Shefer as Yushlaim Shalzahav. Right? So what 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 does it mean that all? So if you look at the Ran, the Ran says over here, Amin Alachi Yushlaim Dedava Tachshit Zav Shi Yushlaim Nusirba. So apparently it was common for the women to have like a piece of jewelry, piece of jewelry that had like the skyline of Yerushalayim on it. This was a common a common a common adornment, a tachshit, a golden adornment that had Yerushalayim in, you know engraved on it. So Mikiva says to his wife. If I had money, if I had money, I would buy you Shem Shalat Shabbos. You have to understand how beautiful and magnificent that exchange is. It's Rabbi Akiva in that moment, in that moment recognizing what his wife has sacrificed for him. Literally again, she's the daughter of one of the wealthiest men in Yerushalayim. And now she's sleeping in straw. She's sleeping, he's literally picking the straw out of her hair. And he realizes in that moment, this lady has given up everything for me. He's given up everything for me. And he says to her, you know, what I, what I wouldn't give, what I wouldn't give to be able to buy you something beautiful. Such a magnificent exchange. Ase Elio, so I'll say, what happened in that moment? Elio came along. Idmi la'an ke'anasha. V'kakari above. So I'll say, Elio and Avi came, disguised as a regular guy, knocked on the door. Amr lahu, havili porta de tivna. Can I borrow some straw from you? My wife has given birth. And I have nothing for her to lay down on. So what's see what's happening over here? So Leo comes disguised as a regular guy, knocks on the door. Mazeltov, my wife gave birth. I'm sorry, we're so poor and destitute that we don't even have some straw to lie. Can I borrow some straw? So in that moment, Amrullah Rabbi Akiva le'insase, So was listen to this. Rabbi Akiva said to us, if you see, I guess we're fortunate. I li- at least we have straw. There are people that don't even have straw. So we'll say, it's this incredible thing that's happening over here. You see, in that moment, Rabbi Akiva is lamenting their dire financial circumstances. And he's saying, I wish, I wish, I wish that we had more. I wish that we had more. And it's almost as if that he's getting down over their circumstances. So what happens in that moment? Rabbi Akiva is on a trajectory that he doesn't, re- he doesn't even realize that he's on. So Eliyahu comes, Eliyahu now, just understand, Eliyahu doesn't just pop in. He right? doesn't just pop in. Eliyahu is called upon to pop in when he needs to direct things in a certain way. So Eliyahu so pops in in that moment to redirect. And what happens? He says, we don't even have straw. And Rabbi Akiva closes the door after this interaction with, 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 a, with a guy who eats just a regular guy. What does he realize? What does he realize? There are people who have less than us. And if there are people who have less than us, then what does that tell you? We're okay. We're okay. There are people who are less fortunate. So by definition, we are doing just fine. I will say, and this was incredibly important. This was incredibly important because it kept Rabbi Akiva on the trajectory that he was yet unaware of. And I must say that it's an incredible idea in general in life, how sometimes, you know, we all lack something. And sometimes we feel that the thing that we lack is just so crucial to my life's success that I don't know how I'm going to be able to, to succeed without it. It's important sometimes to have a little bit of context or a little bit of reframing and recognize that whatever it is you're lacking, there are people who have less than you and are still making it through life, are still accomplishing. So it's true, I may be lacking something, 
but that which I am lacking should not derail me from dynamic life accomplishment. So let's see, here we go. So the Gemara goes right there. So zil havi rab. So at this point, so Rachel says to her husband, go to yeshiva. So again, remember, remember, we often think that Rabbi Akiva or Akiva going away to yeshiva was like a precondition to marriage. Apparently, that wasn't it. They were already married. They're already married. And again, they're living in dire poverty. So Rachel says to her husband, go to yeshiva. Go beira, go to yeshiva, you have to learn. So Amr, so Amr lay, zil havi bey, zil havi bey rav. Azul tarti srishni, kamid rabbi lazar, kamid rabbi eliezer, rabbi yeshua. So Rabbi Akiva went off and he learned 12 years. She said, go to yeshiva. He's gone for 12 years. He's learning before Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Lemishlam tarti srishnin, at the end of 12 years, ka'asa lebeisei. Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, now is coming back home. Shama min achore beisei, as he was approaching his house, he heard a conversation happening on the backside of his house. Right the back of his house. Deka amar chad rasha ledvisu. One Russia, one very evil person was saying to Rabbi Akiva's wife, to Rachel, Shapir You know what? Your father did a good thing. It was good that your father made an edder precluding you from getting any benefit from his property. First of all, you married a bum. Right? That guy Akiva, that guy Akiva, right? He's a bum. Hey, no, he's a bum. Right? He's not an equal to you. He left you as a living widow. All of these years. So he over, so Rabbi Akiva overhears this conversation happening between the Shabbos. By the way, it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty dramatic that the Gemara calls this guy a Russia. Right? So he was saying, you see something amazing. Sometimes, you know, what's the definition of a Russia? A Russia is someone who makes a person feel bad about something they cannot change. Right? So this is always like, it's always like an interesting idea. About, we all have interactions like this. Like, I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. I made a mistake. I can't do anything about it. The worst thing you could do is make a person feel even worse about something they cannot change. You know, there's this concept of constructive critique, constructive musr, where you can help a person grow. Sometimes I can't change what's done. To beat a person over the head, right, metaphorically, like verbally, for saying they cannot change, that's vicious. What is this guy trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Rachel is living in poverty. Her husband has been gone for 12 years. Her father won't talk with her. She's destitute. She has no money. What are you trying to accomplish? So can you imagine this conversation? Rachel, you deserve it. You deserve it. Everything that's happening, your father was... What are you doing? What are you doing? I was saying, you know, sometimes you have to say something sharp to a person in order to motivate them, in order to lift them up, in order to get them to move. But to say something to a person that just makes them feel worse about circumstances they cannot change, that's vicious. That's evil. So I say, so what happens? So Rachel responds, so Rachel responds, Amr it's sa'is lidili, if my husband would listen to me, so they have itarti srin ashni and achrinaisa. I'm okay if he goes back to yeshiva for another 12 years. Little did she know that Rabbi Akiva was listening on the other side of the house. Amr, how will the Ahavis li reshusa so Rabbi Kiva says, ultimately again, since I now have her permission, he went back. Now we'll say, the chap over here is what? He went back, he went back without even going home. Without even going home. He goes back to Yeshiva for another 12 years. We'll say, remember again, in Mesech Suvis, when we did this sugya, there is a beautifully popular 
well-known piece by Chaim Shulavitz and Sichos Musar. And what's with Chaim Shulavitz here? Well, saying, Rabbi Kiva, why can't you stop at home? Have a cup of coffee, have a Danish, right? Say a Shalom Aleichem, right? See your wife, you haven't seen her for 12 years. And Chaim Shulavitz says something so beautiful. He says, because 12 plus 12 doesn't equal 24. The greatness of Rabbi Akiva, as Rabbi Akiva, we call a concept of Ritzifos. Ritzifos means uninterrupted learning. Greatness in Torah comes from when you plug away at something in an uninterrupted fashion. Rabbi Akiva understood that right now, had he gone home, Rabbi said this obviously is not to be mimicked, right, in this sense. But had he gone home, it would have interrupted the flow and interrupted the energy and interrupted the continuity of his learning. Rabbi said, Father, you should know, now it's a big thing that they're bringing back in yeshivas, the concept of recifos. The concept of recifos, and my boys were telling me about this, and I've heard about it actually, from them, which is encouraging boys in yeshiva to have a seder of uninterrupted learning. Uninterrupted learning. Whatever amount of time it is, 30 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes. They both said, by the way, it's something that's very powerful to institute within our own lives as well. To be able upon oneself for X amount of time, I'm learning uninterrupted. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 10 minutes. Whatever it is, for, for this amount of time, I'm not talking to anyone. I'm not taking a phone call. I'm not checking my email. For whatever, for a certain amount of time, I am in this, and I'm not going to un, undistracted, uninterrupted learning. Rabbi Kiva understood that's where real growth comes. Because I'll say, you know this, you can sit and do something for two hours. They'll say, but what happens if I'm distracted or I'm doing different things? How much quality time do you actually get out of that two hours? Whatever, an hour, 45 minutes, 20 minutes. We all this. This is my sin, b'chol yom. But something done by Ritzifos, something done with uninterrupted intensity, that's powerful. So Rabbi Akiva understood that at the end of the day, greatness in Torah is not simply a function of time. It's a function of continuous, uninterrupted in time. So 12 plus 12 doesn't equal 24. You know what equals 24? You know what equals 24? 24 equals 24. Right? 24 years of uninterrupted learning. That's what creates Arabia Akif. It's incredible. So I'll say, so what happens? So I'll say, what happens? So the Gemara says, so he comes back. after now after 24 years of being gone, he comes back with 24,000 pairs of students. 24,000 pairs of students. Everyone wanted to now greet Rabbi Akiva. Rachel also came to greet her husband. So the same Russia, the same guy said to her, Where are you going? This is this exchange. Can you imagine talking to a human being this way? Right? Where are you going? So now, according to the Ran, what he was saying to her is, where are you going dressed like that? Right? In other words, she understands why she's going, but put something on. Right? Put, on put, put on regular clothing. She said to him, which literally means that Tzaddik knows the nefesh, the soul of his animal. Of his animal. But I will say, if you take a look at the Ran, the Ran again says, my husband knows. My husband knows that if I look this way, it's because of him. Now, to clarify that. Right? In other words, if I look to the other he understands that all the tsar I've gone through in life, all the tsar I've gone through in life, ultimately, again, is to allow him to become greater. We'll say, it's just such a story of self-sacrifice within a marriage. So she says, I'm not changing my clothing. 
I'm not going to pretend to look all beautiful and all put together when life has not been beautiful and things have not been put together. The most beautiful way I can present to my husband is a real picture of how I am, which is a state of difficulty, pain, and deprivation. But all of that was for him. So listen to this. Everybody was pushing to get a, to get a view of Rabbi Akiva. Amr Lahon. So what happened? Sorry. So she, the rabbis were pushing her away. People didn't know who she was. They didn't know who she was. So they see this woman, right? Probably again in tattered, tattered clothing. They see this woman going ahead and pushing away towards Rabbi Akiva. They push her away. Amr Lahon. Rabbi Akiva said to them, Hani leave her alone. Shali v'shalachem shalahi. How incredibly beautiful. Rabbi Akiva says, Let her, do you know who she is? Do you know who she is? Everything I have and everything all of you have are only because of her Mesiyah's nefesh. An incredible story. Shama, Kalba Savua. So Kalba Savua comes. So now he hears that the son-in-law that he once thought was just like an icebarf, right? That this guy is a nothing. This guy is worse than a nothing. Now is Rabbi Akiva. Ultimately, again, he, he went ahead. I will say, by the way, this is also why the story is, this is, why the story is repeated here, because there's a nether. So Kalba Savua revokes his nether. The Ashtariye Ishtire. And ultimately, again, he was permitted now to share his wealth with Rabbi Akiva. So we'll say just an, an incredibly overwhelming story, an incredible story about sacrifice and marriage, an incredible story that the essence of marriage ultimately, again, is one spouse giving for the success of the other. I will say, isn't that what marriage is all about? A synergistic partnership where each is willing to sacrifice so that the other has the ability to actualize their greatness. That's what marriage is. Mutual sacrifice for mutual actualization. Incredible. Minshis, so the Gemara says, now watch this. Minshis mili, ita Rabbi Akiva, right? Rabbi Akiva became wealthy. Akiva became wealthy, right? He became wealthy ultimately again from six different sources. Watch this. Min kalba savua. So first of all, he became, he became rich because now again, his father-in-law. It's always good to have a shver, right? He has a father-in-law now who's very wealthy, right? Who now was able to go ahead and give him money. Min, min ila disafinto. Now I'll say, this is actually very interesting. Ila disafinto literally means the deer, the deer of the boat. Now what does that mean? Dechosafinto avdin le min ina. So, chad and ashua al kafyaba. Also, Ashkeherbos, listen to this. So apparently, the Ran, the Ran explains, so she says this outside, the Ran explains this, that it was very common for a boat to have like a deer head on its, on its, uh, on its not mast, but like on its bow, on the front of the boat. This was supposed to be a good simon of mazel, meaning what? Just like the deer runs very quickly, so the boat should have, the boat should have a good, a good passage, a good journey. Now, they would often fill this deer head with gold coins, so Rabbi Akiva one time found a deer head on the dock. One time they forgot the deer head on the dock. It was filled with gold coins. Rabbi Akiva got it. So ultimately, again, the, uh, the Ran explains over here. The Ran explains. I'm sorry. No, no. Sorry. The, the, the Marshal explains over here that Rabbi Akiva found it. He wanted to return it to the sailors. But the sailors were so impressed with Rabbi Akiva's honesty, they let him keep it. Okay, so source of wealth one was Kala Savua. Source of wealth two, he found the deer head. Min Gavza, Listen to this. Another, another, another time where it happens. Gavza, gavza means a chest, a box. What happened with the box? One time, Rabbi Akiva gave, right, there were people, there were sailors going overseas. And also, when sailors went overseas, they had opportunity for commerce. Rabbi Akiva goes ahead and gives four zuz. 
four zoz, right, to, to the sailors. And what does he say to the sailors? Bring me something back. Bring me something back. Right? So I was like, 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 again, it's not a lot of money. So just give me, right, here's four zoz. Bring me something back. So we'll say the sailors weren't able to find anything back. One thing that they were able to find was a box. So they brought, they brought him back a box. And they gave him the box. So I say, so ultimately, again, I said to him here, use this, right? So they, oh, they said, look, we couldn't find anything to buy for you. 40, what are you going to buy for four zoos? We couldn't even find anything. Instead, again, we just go ahead and we found you a box. So So one time they found that. So what happened? Rabbi Kiva opened the box and it turned out that the box was filled with gold coins, with gold coins. So ultimately, again, this Siddhi Gemara says, so I say, so what happened? So again, it's apparently the Gemara says, somebody must have lost, the Gemara tells a story, how the Gemara exactly knows that this is the chest, but the Gemara says it must have been, people were on the high seas doing commerce, they put all of the proceeds of their business transactions in this chest, the boat, the boat sank, this chest washed up on the shore, and this was the chest of Rabbi Akiva. Incredible. Suppose I saw again, for four zuz, a pretty good return on investment, for four zuz, ultimately, again, he gets this chest of, of gold coins. Suppose say that's another source of his wealth. Omin Matronisa. Suppose say the other story, ultimately, again, was with a Roman noblewoman. Suppose say now listen to this. Here, the Gemara does not go ahead and expand on this story. But if you take a quick look at the run, I will say all of these are incredible stories. Look at this. Pam Achos, the last run on the page, left-hand side, left-hand column. Pam Achos, Hutzuchu Rabbi Akiva v'tamid of Maus. One time Rabbi Akiva and his students needed money. And what happened? V'halchu Eitzel Matronisa. They went to a certain Roman noble, Roman noble woman for a loan. Amrulod Rabbi Akiva, Harini Melava Oscha, Vitiya Ata Lova, V'akodesh Baruch Hu V'yam Arevin Bedavar. So this Roman noble, noble woman who, who had incredible respect to Rabbi Akiva, she said, I'll lend you the money, you're the borrower, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the sea should be the guarantors for this debt. Kavala Zman Lepiron, they set a time for repayment. So this Rabbi says, see now what happened? The time for repayment came. Now what the Ran doesn't say explicitly over is Rabbi Akiva was sick. He was ill. And therefore he was unable to come to repay her. So what happens? She goes to the sea. She says, see, see, you owe me, you're the guarantor for this debt. Right, what happens? Again, so the Ran says, Rabbi Akiva is ill. He doesn't have the ability to repay the debt. But you and the sea are the guarantors. Miyad. So listen to this. So the Gemara, so the Ran says where the story is. In that very moment, at another part of the sea, the daughter of the Caesar went a little crazy. She took a box of jewels, a chest of jewels and money, threw it into the sea. That chest of money and jewels washes up on the shore, right by where this Roman noble woman was, thereby paying the debt of Rabbi Akiva. A little while later, Rabbi Akiva is healed. He comes to pay his debt. And the Roman noble, the Roman noble woman says, your debt has already been paid. And I will say from that, Rabbi Akiva was able to keep that money. Therefore, again, that was another source of his wealth. Amad Beis, Amad Beis. So I will say, umin ishto shal Turnus Rufus. Another source of his wealth was from the wife of Turnus Rufus. 
So I will say, ultimately, again, it's all in, so many incredible stories. Who's the wife or what's the wife of Turnus Rufus? So once again, I will say, the Ran tells this story very quickly. Look, top Ran. No, no, outside. Rabbi Akiva and Turnus Rufus were constantly locked in like theological debate. And Rabbi Akiva was always besting Turnus Rufus, Turnus Rufus in front of the Caesar. Turnus Rufus came home. Pam Achas Bala Beso Sarvis off. One time Turnus Rufus comes home, he's angry. Amrlo Ishta Mipne Mapanachazov. And why are you angry? Amrlo Mipne Shabi Akiva Shemekantir Osibichoyomidvarim. Rabbi Akiva is always besting me in front of the in front of in front of the Caesar. Amrlo, so listen to this, his wife said, Eloheim shall elu sonazima. You know, their God hates immorality. Tainli Rushus, the Akshul Osa Bidvaradera. It's a crazy story. So Turnus Rufus, Mrs. Turnus Rufus says to her husband, if you give me permission, I will seduce Rabbi Akiva to sin and he'll lose his spiritual edge over you. Turnus Rufus says, okay. So sure, if he gives her a shush, she comes to Rabbi Akiva. Kishara Rabbi Akiva also. Sachak Bacha. Rak Sachal Gubas. Rabbi Akiva saw her. He spit, he laughed, and he cried. So she's very taken by this. Amr Allah, Mat Inon Hanach, Tlas Mili, what are you doing? What are you doing? Amr Allah, Shnaim Efarish, Lishilo, Elo Efarish. I'll explain to you two of the three. Rakakti Al, Al Shabasa Mitipa Sucha. Right? I, I spit because, you know, we all come from a putrid drop and we go back to a putrid drop. Bachisi, I cried because you're such a beautiful woman. Hi, Shufra, Debali Ba'ara. And that beauty that you possess one day will disintegrate into the earth. Vahavakasachak, now I'll say, why did he laugh? Why did he laugh? Now this Rabbi Akiva didn't reveal. He laughed. Shetzafa Baruch HaKodesh Sha'asida Lehizkayer Lina Selo, Velo Ratsa Lahodia. I will say he laughed because one day, after the death of Turnus Rufus, this woman would convert and she would marry Rabbi Akiva. He saw prophetically that one day they would in fact be husband and wife. That last part, that last part, ultimately, again, he did not reveal to her. It's actually alternate versions. Alternate versions of the stories that he did reveal to her. But again, I will say, according to this approach, he did not reveal to her. Now, I will say, she is so taken by this. Amrolo, Klum Yesh Tshuva. I will say, she understands here, well, she, came ready to, she came ready to seduce this man. Right? Meanwhile, she realizes that he is so incredibly holy and pious. So she said, is there any tshuva for a person like me? And he says to Amr Lahim, he says, of course, tshuva is open to everyone. Now, both say, he does not tell her what the tshuva is. She goes on her own, halcha, v'neskaira, v'nises, so Rabbi Akiva. She goes and converts and ultimately marries Rabbi Akiva. V'chnisolo mamon harbe. Now, she was a wealthy woman. She brought in the money into this marriage. So I will say, what I want to point out over here is, again, not, these things didn't occur immediately because according to the story, she only married Rabbi Akiva after Turnus Rufus dies. The idea is, he sparked something within her. This encounter with Rabbi Akiva was the beginning of her spiritual journey, which ultimately resulted in her marriage to Rabbi Akiva. I will say, I'll just point out historically, which is actually something fascinating. Rabbi Akiva is one of the Asar Rugimachos, one of the ten martyrs. In Chazal, it's indicated that the Roman official that executed Rabbi Akiva was Turnus Rufus. So it brought, so it's one of the, so, what, so yet it says Rabbi Akiva married the widow of Turnus Rufus. So it's quite possible that Turnus Rufus is not the name of a person, but rather Turnus Rufus is the name of a position, kind of like Caesar. 
right? Caesar is not the name of a person, it's the name of a person. So Turnus Rufus might also be the name of a high Roman official. Okay, in any event, that was the source of his wealth. Umin Ketia Bar Shalom. And I will say, ultimately, again, and, and, and another source of Rabbi Akiva's wealth, ultimately, again, was Ketia Bar Shalom, which the Gemara says, ultimately, is a story, is a story of Mesechah Sabal Zara. Good. So I will say, so these are, these are the sources of Rabbi Akiva's wealth. I will say, by the way, it's also such an incredible idea. See, now, by the way, I just want to point out, you see the incredible circle of Rabbi Akiva's life. So we go from being a newlywed, picking the straw out of your wife's hair, right, to having absolutely nothing, to encountering a life of incredible wealth, of incredible wealth. The full circle of Rabbi Akiva, not just in Gashmias Rabbi but the full circle of Rabbi Akiva in Ruchnias as well. Incredible. Let's go weiter. Rabbi Gamda, Yoiv Dalit Zuzi Lesafonoi, so what happens? Rav Gamda gave four zuz to the sailors to bring him back some merchandise. So I will say the truth is he heard about Rabbi Akiva's ROI, right? Rabbi Akiva's trying to invest. He's like, all right, this is a good idea. Four zuz to the sailor. So I said, this is a great story. So what happened? Lo ashkechu. The sailors couldn't find anything back to give Rabbi Gamda. Asua lay bahon kufa. So they brought him back a monkey. I was like, can you imagine this? Rabbi Gamda, this is like a monkey? Like, what, what, what am I going to do with this? So I was like, so what happened? Listen to this. Ishtamit. So what happens? The monkey escapes. Now I will say, the truth is, this actually occurred even before they gave the monkey to Rabbi Gamda. So they bring the monkey back. Right? They bring the monkey back. The monkey escapes. The monkey went into a hole. So they have to get the monkey. So they went ahead and they dug after the monkey. So I'll say they found that the monkey had discovered buried treasure. Buried treasure. So I'll say, what did they do? I seen a lekul. And they gave Rav Gamda the entire buried treasure. Now the Ran points out over here, were the sailors obligated to give Rabbi Gamda the treasure? Absolutely not. But the sailors, you understand, sailors in general, in general are religious people. Right? Why? Because when you travel the seas and you recognize that you're just at the mercy of nature, you reach out. Now, not that they're necessarily monotheistic. They're, all, they're more often than not polytheistic individuals, but they're, 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 very, they're, very, they're very religious people. So they saw that obviously Rabbi Ganda's monkey was the one who found the treasure. This must be a simon that, really, that really is his, and therefore they gave it to him, even though they weren't obligated to do so. Let's go back to Amrit was a incredible story. Amrit Baskes Rabbi Shoben Chananya. So the daughter of the Caesar said to Rabbi Shoben Chananya, Torah Mefuara Bekli Mechuar. This is quite an exchange. She says to him, How could Torah, something that's so beautiful, be in such an ugly vessel? Apparently, she was saying to Rabbi Shoben Chananya, You are ugly. You are ugly. And she did not mince words. She says, so How could it be that such beautiful knowledge could be housed in such an ugly utensil? Amrit. I'll teach you a lesson from your father's home. Tell me in your father's house, in what do they keep the wine? We keep the wine in earthenware utensils. She said, again, everyone, regular people, keep their wine in earthenware utensils. Don't you think that, again, your family, the royalty, the Caesar, should keep his wine in gold and silver utensils, gold and silver vessels. So she said, you know what, you're right. She, changed, she ordered the servants to move all of the wine from earthenware to gold and silver, the sari, and ultimately it all spoiled. So he said, taught her a very powerful lesson, that sometimes, sometimes the most beautiful things are preserved when they are in very base, 
and, and very, very humble utensils. Wine is only preserved when it's kept in earthenware. So Rosh Hashanah says sometimes the way that beautiful Torah is preserved is in a humble vessel. And Rosh Hashanah said the fact that I'm not the best looking guy by definition keeps me humble and that humility ultimately is what preserves the Torah inside. Right? So we'll have to stop over here for today. Do not worry, we are right on schedule. Right? We are just fine. I will say again, more incredible. I gotta talk tomorrow. Zalamiras Hashem. By tomorrow, by Shabbos. Zalamiras Hashem, we will, because you'll see uh, Friday's daf. Friday's daf is very short. Zalamiras Hashem will be all caught up. What a daf. What a daf.